Welcome to Poolside Podcast. This is episode number 26, and I'm your host, Rachel Anthony. I hope everyone had a great Christmas and New Year and ate and drank more than enough shortbread and gingerbread and normal bread and wine and beer and, you know, all of that. Um, It is now the beginning of January, and we all are hopefully back to normal life, Um, although I feel like some people aren't back to work yet, and they're going back on Monday, but I wanted to get the podcast going again now that it is a new year. And reflecting on the past episodes that we did last year from the podcast and just starting it, I'm always inspired by every single business owner um, that I've talked to and just in general, people that start businesses and are able to run them successfully and organize everything and be an entrepreneur is I find very inspiring, which is, like I said, this is why I started the podcast. I love hearing the stories of people that have overcome the struggle of starting a business and all the lessons they have learned along the way. Kara Comestic is one of those people that is truly an inspiration for overcoming all the obstacles that come along with starting a business. She is the co-founder and co-owner of Park, a fashion show and resource for creatives, as well as a creative production house. On this episode, Kara talks about how Park came to be, how her engineering degree and thought process processes helped in the organization of the business and the challenges her and her business partner have faced in the last 10 years. Kara gives her advice for entrepreneurs looking to make the leap to start a business coming from a traditional nine to five. And she advises all entrepreneurs three things to make sure people want your product, that they're interesting and interested in what you are doing and that you can sustain yourself. She talks about the challenges Park has faced while they were running a business before it was a business, which means that they were coming off as a high-end fashion show, but without a high-end budget. Um, And she tells us why in the 10th year of business, they finally decided to open up and be transparent about the financial side of business with their audience, which I think is super inspirational for all business owners that Um, people nowadays with social media and with the internet and just having so many options of businesses to choose from that I think the businesses that people choose to support are the ones that are the most transparent and relatable and real and I think uh, Park has done a good job this year with opening up about that and getting people to understand that yes they do put on high-end fashion shows and provide a ton of resources but um, it still costs money to do that. And Kara also talks about um, having true fans and really being able to capitalize upon them. So finding your 1,000 true fans or whatever that smaller number may look like, not necessarily the number of followers you have on Instagram or likes on your Facebook page, um, but a truly captive audience because they will be the ones there to support whatever you are doing. So let us get to the first podcast episode of 2019. Here is Kara. Welcome back to the podcast. I am sitting here with Kara from Park. Thanks for coming to join me for this. I'm so excited. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Um, I love that you avoided my last name. Most people do. It's a pretty (laughs) tough one. I was like, did I hesitate long enough to know that I was like, wait, I don't even know how to say her last name. (laughs) It's pronounced comestic, rhymes with domestic. 
Oh, okay. I know, it's okay. kind of fun. When I do the it's intro later, one. I'll have to, I'll listen back to this. Someone did this for their other name too, like their first name, this guy. And he was like, it just rhymes with this. I'm like, perfect. And like in my notes, I'm like, rhymes with this. <laughs> so that I can say it in the intro. So <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, do you want to introduce yourself and what you do? Absolutely. So um, my name is Kara and I am the president of PARC. PARC stands for Promoting Artists, Redefining Culture. And uh, the organization initially started 10 years ago as a way to help cultivate talent in our city. We're based in Calgary, born and raised Calgarian, super proud of that. And really a lot of our our why and what the organization is about um, really comes from trying to uh, encourage people to to stay at home and to do what they love and be able to have a sustainable company uh, right in Calgary. That's amazing. I fully appreciate that. I think everyone should be able to be self-employed, like you said. So before we get into where it came from, what you do with that, mm -hmm. what did you initially want to be when you grew up? What was your initial career? Oh, that's that's a funny one. It's changed, I would say, um, several times throughout my life. I initially wanted to be an archaeologist before I found out um, <laughs> it was a $10,000 a year salary. <laughs> and then from there... Um, I did an internship in high school working um, at the Alberta Children's Hospital um, in the um, uh, orthotics clinic. And um, so really kind of or biomedical industry was a lot of my interest, um, kind of high school into my university years. Um, I actually have a degree in biomechanical engineering. Um, so that's kind of was my first love and um, got into industry and um, really felt that a big part of my creativity was missing. So that's really what led me to, to where I am today and um, probably should have gone to art school. All my peers <laughs> went to ACAD and I was very, very close to going to ACAD. Um, but I was like, no, I'm gonna be practical. I'm gonna go be an engineer and get a good job and have a good career. And then I discovered in my mid twenties that I hated that idea. Right. And are you from Calgary? Yes. Yes. Because that's usually, usually that's a telltale sign that you're from Calgary, is that you go to school, do engineering, get into oil and gas. That's, you mm -hmm. know, the pathway that's set for all of us. Yes, it's very <laughs> true. And so when did Park start? What was your idea? How did that really come to fruition? Yeah, so Park started in my third year university. So I was actually on my internship with a company called Tenant Medical Engineering. And um, at that time, you know, we were working nine to five and then my evenings and weekends were free because we didn't have to study. And uh, we're kind of just talking with a lot of my peers. And like I said, I had a big friend group that uh, all went to art school and, and we we're just talking about how sad it was that artists didn't have any opportunities in, in Calgary. And kind of just digging into, well, why, why is that? And a lot of it had to do with at the time, like there was no markets, there was no... Um, avenues for artists to to sell pieces or even showcase pieces like unless you were in a gallery there was no um, spaces for that um, so park really came from a place of trying to provide those initial opportunities um, our very first event was on the University of Calgary campus um, green space by the engineering department of course <laughs> and uh, we had about 50 artists and fashion designers just set up and just have a booth outside and um, that was oh, so funny. It was right when Facebook events kind of became a thing. I don't know if you remember that at all or if you... I, are you I don't remember the like <laughs> initial launch of Facebook oh events. Oh my gosh, the initial launch of Facebook events. If you got invited, it was yeah. like a thing. Like you were very special. And so 
um, it, we kind of leverage that and everyone is like, oh my God, you invited me to this cool artist outdoor market thing. And so we had 800 people come out just wow. based if on only Facebook, Facebook events yeah. still work that way. I know, <laughs> I wish we weren't spammed by them, but yeah. initially they were an amazing thing. And, um, and then from there, like really the event started like eight of us threw in 50 bucks just to be able to host the event. And being poor students, we're like, this is expensive. We can't keep doing this. So we're like, let's host a fundraiser so that we can keep doing these markets. Um, and there's a big group of um, Lethbridge College students, fashion design students that came up to do the sale. And they're like, well, why don't we do a fashion show? Like, that'd be kind of cool. And um, so we're like, okay, yeah, let's, that'll be easy. Why don't we just do a fashion show fundraiser? And uh, it was not easy. It was probably <laughs> one of the more difficult things we did. And uh, we all kind of threw together resources and sewed some curtains as our back of house. Wow. and got all our friends and you know peers to model and um through this big art party at uh i think it was called art life gallery where um one of the menswear boutiques is right now on first street and um yeah it was there was a lineup down the street around the corner people were on each other's shoulders trying to see in the windows and sneak in the back door and way wow. over fire capacity <laughs> like it was kind of a disaster um with that but it was cool to see that Calgarians actually cared, you know, and that there was a, a market and interest for it. And then from there, it just kept growing as a, or growing as an extracurricular activity um, for me and, and my business partner, Jesse Lee. And just really trying to, to keep finding new ways of supporting these artists. So whether it was shows, whether it was um, collaborating with local businesses and artists to do um, gallery pop-ups, um, doing, uh, continuing with park sale, which was our outdoor, outdoor market for several years. And then it kind of slowly evolved into this concept of buying off the runway, um, direct to consumer, um, and then teaching sustainability to artists. So, um, allowing them to find ways of commerce that were unique to their business and worked for their specific product or business model. Uh, we were finding there was too many people that were saying, oh, you have to be in a gallery in order to make it. You have to do, you know, be in a large retailer in order to make it. But we were finding designers making millions of dollars doing markets, you know, doing the market circuit between Calgary, like Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver, Saskatoon. And I'm like, OK, you can do four cities wow. and, you know, have a very viable, productive career. And um, through that, uh, you know, we've seen brands like Camper and Goods and Kudu Kitsch, um, Ben Alimi, Caitlin Power, um, we've seen so, so many success stories now with House Noni, um, dressing Meghan Markle, Spencer Badu, dressing Isaac Rocky, and, and just kind of throughout the years, just really perfecting um, what, we, what we can offer and kind of landed on this fa like uh, fashion show format. So we do two shows a year um, where people can buy off the runway. And then also providing more resources through our entrepreneurial seminars, um, specifically targeted at creatives, um, as well as um, our one-on-one -on -one mentorship and subscription services. So, yeah, wow. huge, huge gamut of things. Yeah, no kidding. And so when, because you're still in school when you started, mm -hmm. and then you were an engineer for a while. So mm -hmm. what was the, when did you decide that this was too much to do on the weekends? What was the breaking point? Yeah. <laughs> Um, it sounds like a breaking point at the beginning, but clearly you decided to still have a job. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, at the at the beginning, like I, we never thought park would be our job. Like it was always supposed to be extracurricular, um, and both Jesse and myself had enough flexibility in our jobs. We had amazing 
um, bosses and employers that, you know, they'd let us take vacation days to do shows or they'd let us take time off to pursue photo shoots and that kind of thing. But I got to the point where I was getting really good at getting my work done really fast so that I could start working on my park work. And my vacation days started turning into sick days, started turning to extra sick days. And it kind of there started to become a bit of a conflict of interest. And I was so every time I'd say no to a fashion job, um, it would just kind of rip my heart out. And so I think, you know, in my mid 20s, I knew that I had to take the leap, but it was so scary. All of my friends were engineers and um, accountants and professionals. They were all, you know, getting engaged and buying these big houses. And there was so much pressure to pursue that type of lifestyle. Whereas for me to actually start um, a fashion startup in Calgary. Right. <laughs> like, it would take a huge step back. Right. Um, as an engineer. As an not engineer. Not even as like an art student. Totally, yeah. totally, as an engineer. So I um, decided to part ways um, with my full-time job. And um, it was kind of like a mutual parting, really good terms. And then I freaked out and I was like, <laughs> I can't do this. What am I doing? And I applied for another engineering job and I got hired in two days. Wow. And it was the worst decision of my life. It was the universe being like, you need to do this. You now have an opening. You should go do this. And then I was like, nope, I'm putting my foot down. I can't, like, I'm scared. I can't do this. And I was at that job for three months and I hated every minute of it. It was probably the closest thing to hell I've ever experienced. <laughs> and at that point, it just was like, okay, it's boiling, it's boiling, it's boiling. It hits peak. And at three months, I walked away. I was like, I can't. You know, this isn't what I need to be doing. I'm still getting calls and texts and people, you know, people want to work with us. So right. I just need to take the leap and um, jumped in with two feet. Uh, Jessie was still at her job, so she was still able to, you know, carry on things um, on her end. And then for myself, just building up the portfolios, building up. Um, so just a little bit of background as well. So we have Park, the not-for-profit organization, which is all the fashion shows. And then we have Park Production House, where we do photo shoots and campaigns for um, lifestyle clients. So tourism, fashion, um, all clients, um, and uh, anybody basically that needs people in their campaigns, we right. uh, provide services for. And so really kind of building that side of the business and at that point still park as it was was not going to be our main source of income like the styling work and the wardrobe work that was where the income was coming from and i was like oh this isn't viable like park is just our feel-good project we just did this backwards instead of you know growing up getting the good job and then do starting your charity or starting you know, not for profit we started the not for profit before we had any money <laughs> so we kind of had to build it completely backwards and um kind of through that discovery just really kind of finding you know, through passion and through what we enjoy doing, every time we put 110% into something, that's what would succeed. So we kind of went through this weaving journey of just trying out so many different projects and so many different things. And about four years ago, we kind of hit a critical mass with, with the amount of work that we we're taking on and Jessie had to make a decision to quit her job too. So she made the leap with me and it was not planned. It wasn't something where we're like, Okay, we need to do this. Let's, you know, set up security. Let's figure out how we can pay her, like both of ourselves. She just did it, <laughs> and we're like, okay, right. now we have to do this. And um, entered a few other companies. Um, we were going to do a fashion trade show at one point. Um, decided that wasn't a good idea, and then we decided to do um, a store briefly. So we had a pop up for all our designers, and decided we didn't like retail, and that wasn't our passion. And 
And now we've landed really kind of having kind of these two separate companies with the not-for-profit and the for-profit and both of the companies kind of feed and help each other. And uh, I finally feel like we're at a place where we have some balance, we have some work-life balance. We, right. <laughs> you know, are able to grow and and kind of reach that sustainability of, of all my peers. And ironically, with the economy now, everybody that I was looking up to and kind of a little bit envious of when I lost my, or not lost my job, but when I left my job, um, are are losing their jobs which is kind of a it's a weird shift so now right all the secure stable careers are are not that stable anymore and for us creating this niche industry we're finding more and more stability because you know we just did something different right well and then maybe you, like you would have lost your job probably anyways mm-hmm. you know so mm-hmm. at least you got a head start on doing something you really like rather than spending those extra like five or six years working at a job you didn't really like and then having to find something else to do. Totally. So you were, I'm sure it didn't seem like it at that time, but now looking back, you know, it, it worked out for Absolutely. you. Yeah. Um, and what advice did you give people who are either sitting on the edge where you were or do you want to take the self-employed jump? What advice would you give them hmm. to be ready for that? Oh, you'll never be ready. <laughs> <laughs> you'll never be ready. Um, And I think that's okay. Like every time that you're scared, that means that you're doing something that you care about. That means that you're doing something that is pushing your own personal boundaries. And if it feels safe, it's probably not the right decision because it's comfortable, right? And when people get comfortable, they don't grow. And I think really um, the biggest piece of advice other than just kind of trusting your gut and trusting your intuition is really focusing on, on what the business is. So it's great if you have this amazing passion project or this idea of creativity, but if there's no viability or sustainability in it, um, you don't have a business. And I think that was something we knew from the start is we started with this idea and these ideals without having a business case for it. And we had to build up and discover what that business was. And that was really tough. So for anybody you know looking to make that leap, you know, test that out before you make that leap. Actually make sure that people want your product, that they're interested in what you're doing and that you can um, kind of sustain your style. Um, also cash flow in business, it's so boring, but if you don't, you know, if you're someone that likes to avoid the finances and likes to turn a blind eye, you're probably not a good person to run your own company. Right. <laughs> And we see that all the time with creatives. Like that's yeah. our, you know, that's why Park Forum is so important, and that's the first thing we hammer home every every forum is, you know, you've got to know your accounting, you got to know your cash flow. What is your, you know, your business structure? Do you have a business plan and a marketing plan? And even though those things suck and they're really annoying and hard to do, but if you don't have them, then you know you really you're kind of stuck. Right. Totally. And how do people like if they have either a fashion line or they wanted to get into fashion, like how do you choose which brands you work with or in your shows? Totally. So we have a, a set of criteria. So very engineering of us. We have a process. <laughs> yeah. um, there's an Excel sheet. There's an Excel suite. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but we found that that was, um, that was the fairest way um, to kind of evaluate designers that we felt were ready uh, to participate in the events. Um, the biggest thing is where they are within their design process. Um, are they able to manufacture? Do they have capabilities of having inventory? Do they have a website? I know that seems like such a basic thing, but like 50% of the people that apply don't have websites. 
And if I'm trying to promote and sell to the public, oh my God, there's this amazing new designer. You need to check them out. Here is a link to their Etsy page that's half designed in all different pictures and looks, right. you know, like yeah. we, we want people to have at least that understanding of professionalism. And mm-hmm. we're asking people to pay a lot of money to come to the shows and support and pay money for their products. And if their products right. are falling apart or, you know, not right. at that level where they could sell them, then we feel that we're doing a disservice to those designers by featuring them. And we have done that in the past. And then people come back to us and say, hey, I just bought this and it fell apart. Right. And then it's, you know, that's yeah. Really well, you don't want to lose value for like the other designers that are there. Exactly. Better, better quality. You don't want to. No, absolutely. Everyone sinks down then. So there's kind of like a basic level of quality. There's a basic level of trend and aesthetic understanding. Um, you know, there's certain products that don't fit within the aesthetic of our shows. They're quite commercial. They're quite accessible. Um, you know, we're not doing anything that's like for goths or for, right. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know, like other genres. Yeah. Like or you still whatever. have a niche. We have a niche. Yeah. 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 It's very like, I wouldn't say mainstream, but it's accessible right. for sure. Um, and then as well, kind of what they're doing nationally, like, do they have any media attention or things that a point of interest, um, using again, Noni's make and Markle appearance, like that was a great, you know, draw for the crowd in the fall and, um, really kind of looking at what they're doing on their own outside of park that complements, and then what we can do to kind of bring the community together and make it stronger. Right. That's awesome. And how did it evolve? So you've had the sale, you have the show, mm-hmm. Park Lux, Park Forum. How did those like come about? And what yeah. like what was the timeline really for all of that? Yeah, no, it was it's been a lot. It's been ten years of of growing it. So initially it started with the sales, the outdoor markets, and um, kind of not ironically, but I, I'd like to say almost beautifully, Market Collective and park sale were within a week of each other, the very first events. And I think just the community as a whole was really um, in tune with the fact that we needed something more for artists in Calgary. Um, so for park sale, we did it um, for a number of years and then we were just finding hosting it outdoors was really risky. It was a lot of work to do the setup and the takedown. And people like Market Collective, Little Modern Market, like they had such a formula and such a draw and more advertising power and potential that we're like, you know what, why don't we let them take the spotlight on that and let's step back and look at the shows and let's see how the shows can really help this group and this community. And with the shows, we were finding that um, the designers are actually making quite a bit of money. Like we had set it up um, starting, initially it was almost like a fashion week set up where we were showing season head. But in 2011, we switched everything to showing in season um, and showing product that people could buy right away um, just because it it made more sense for, for our community here. We don't have right. buyers. We don't have a lot yeah. of media. It's it's a totally different, um, different kind of city. But we have a lot of people with a lot of disposable income. And they want to spend it on local vendors. And they're really interested in supporting Canadians. So that was definitely something that we started focusing on. Um, in 2011, we also split the show into two target demographics. So we had Park Show, which was more the emerging street style kind of designers, um, a little bit more accessible products and price points, and then Park Lux, which was more of the established luxury designers. Um, we found having the new designers on the runway with some of the more established designers was a little bit confusing. The target audiences weren't 
really meshing. And so we really wanted to kind of separate those two groups. Um, and then 2011 as well, we started Park Forum really because we saw a few businesses pop up. Like we started in 2008 and then there was all these companies and then they had died off already by 2011. We're like, what is happening? Like, why can't people run a business more than two or three years? And we were finding that they had a lot of talent, but they didn't understand how to run a business properly or how to even set a business up. They were just pumping money into these new collections and these products and they'd lose it because they couldn't sell it. They couldn't offload the inventory fast enough. So we created Park Forum um, as a means for um, designers to be able to be sustainable and to do a little bit of forward projection before they invest all that money or, or get startup capital. Um, knowing how to how to grow and, and to manage that cash flow because it's pretty complicated business cycle. Like you make your two or you make your first collection and then you're already making your second collection before you're selling that first collection. So you almost have to budget right. and be able to carry the cash of two full seasons before the cash starts coming in. And then even then payment terms, some boutiques take 90 days to pay. And so by then you're already right. almost like a year and a bit out of when you've already fronted those costs. So it's pretty um, pretty complex. And um, a lot of designers um, were struggling with that. And then also we were, tr- we were finding that a lot of designers were kind of breaking the system, which was kind of cool. So we wanted a place to talk about that. Like instead of doing two seasons a year, going seasonless or doing capsule collections, like some of the designers we work with do, you know, collections every month. Some just drop when they have the money. Like really, right. like they build up. They sell a bunch of inventory and then their next collection comes out when they can fund it. And then there's not as much pressure to always be producing spring and fall, to always be showing, you know, at fashion weeks. Um, They're just kind of doing their own thing and it's working really well for them. Right. Well, and then they have a place where you can go and be like, oh, someone is doing it. So it's okay if I do it. Like, you know, you you can feel more comfortable then listening to it. I know we talked about it briefly because I came to the last park forum that you've now kind of expanded because obviously I don't have a clothing collection yeah. or any sort of fashion. You've kind of expanded to more just like entrepreneurs in general. Yes. So was that on purpose or did it just kind of happen because now people are super obsessed with like <laughs> entrepreneurship and all these like live talks? Um, I think, yeah, I think it was nat- pretty natural. But a lot of what we do, it's so funny. We think that the issues that we're having specifically with creative communities are just a Calgary problem. When over the last 10 years, we found it's a national problem. And then I think all the issues we thought creative entrepreneurs were having were just for creative entrepreneurs, but it's really all entrepreneurs. It's just the lens that you're looking at it from. Like everybody needs accounting. Everyone needs legal advice. Everybody needs marketing plan. Um, So I think the examples that we use are a little bit more fashion lifestyle focused which makes it exciting. It makes it, you know, a little bit different than a tech forum or something like that. Um, But it definitely, um, I don't know. I I, I was really surprised. I can can just say that was a a place of discovery for us that a lot of these topics could be applicable. And um, we started getting people bringing their friends that were photographers or friends that owned an agency or, um, you know, were just thinking of starting a company and didn't know what that company was. And then we were like, okay, well, we should make it a little bit of a broader broader topic and, and grab a larger audience because the topics are super valuable and I think everybody can, can learn a lot from them. Yeah, no, the one I was at was amazing. And so like you said, you've, this is your 10th year, you celebrated your 10th year. Mm-hmm. Um, so what has been the most challenging part 
of park and then what has been the most rewarding because you obviously are in it for the oh, rewarding yeah. part <laughs> <laughs> um the most challenging part of park oh, i think there's there was kind of it was kind of twofold i think the most challenging part was running a business before it was a business so we were operating like we were a big company with you know professional looking campaigns and great branding and awesome social media like everything was in place and everyone's like whoa that must be making some big bucks but we really had no idea where we were getting our next you know sponsorship for our next show or how to sell our next tickets and um so kind of faking it for so many years was was tough like it was a lot of burden to carry and we felt a huge responsibility to the community to keep doing this even though we weren't personally profiting off of it for many of those 10 years um so that was really difficult was trying to keep up appearances um sorry that sounds kind of egotistical but at the same time i guess yeah that was what it was it just what it, what yeah. it was like we kind of decided we were going to take on this this role within the community and felt a huge burden of, of doing that. And then I think this year was the first year we were really honest with people. You know, the not-for-profit isn't a huge money maker. It's a not-for-profit, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, where we make our income is the production house side of things. And um, I think that was just a huge, huge sigh of relief for us. I think another um, difficulty we had, a secondary difficulty was understanding how to work with creatives um, in a way that was productive and um, sustainable for, for all parties. I think there was a lot of ad-libbing at first, a lot of verbal contracts, verbal agreements. We'd go over and above to try to satisfy everybody and anyone's needs, but each artist's need is so different and where they are in their business is so different. So trying to standardize that process and kind of teach the community that no, I'm sorry, you can't bring your dogs on the runway for this set. No, right. I'm sorry, you can't hand in your contract 25 days late and stress out our DJ because he doesn't have your music. Like, right. just really kind of cracking down on on kind of the looseness of, of our early days and, and really structuring it. Um, and it was funny because we got some big backlash probably about four or five years ago around it. And then we're like, no, let's just trust our gut. Let's just stick with it. And now I'd say that's one of the most positive things about Park. And one of the compliments that we get a lot is the shows are organized. You know, everything does, you know, run really smooth. The designers have a great experience and people are profitable after the events. And that's ultimately what the organization does and why we exist is to make sure that we can get some cash back into these young companies' pockets. Um, the most rewarding parts. Um, I think Jess and I both share this in the fact the most rewarding part is we're making culture happen in our city. We're starting to see some of these small companies choose to live in Calgary and be based in Calgary or in Alberta. Um, we work with a lot of companies in Edmonton and surrounding areas as well. And um, everybody, you know, in bigger city centers is always like, why do you stay here? Like, What is it about Calgary? And for us, it's just, I don't know, it's just home. Like we have an amazing quality of life here and to be able to um, give that opportunity to artists and say, hey, no, actually I wanna be based at, you know, in the Rockies or near the Rockies and, and have a work-life balance where I can go and enjoy all of the beautiful things that we have around us and, and get inspired and, and not be crammed in a tiny apartment. I can afford to have <laughs> totally. proper studio space and all yeah. of that. 
um, that's probably the most rewarding part mm -hmm. is being able to see well, small companies now grow into medium and large size companies. Yeah, when I think Calgary, like I haven't lived in Vancouver, or Toronto or Montreal where like the fashion cities would be, mm -hmm. but Calgary is such a supportive city. And yes. I don't really know, I was, I was too young when like 2008 happened, I was still in high school, so I don't really know what it was like then, but yeah. I don't know if it's because of that, that now we support all of the small businesses and just even the, the recent recession, if that's now why we're so supportive or if it was always in Calgary, but I feel like that's a great reason to stay as well because you do have the support. So people will want you to survive instead of like Toronto or Vancouver, we can just get lost, lost in the, in the crowd. So, I mean, I love Calgary. You look, we're both from Calgary. We yeah. both live here. So yeah. <laughs> we're a little bit biased, <laughs> we're a little bit biased, but no, like even like on that note, like talking about the industries and in other city centers, they don't have the communities we have here. It's so competitive. It's very separatist. Um, there's niches of people that hang out and support each other, but a lot of the designers come into into Calgary and they're so shocked. They're like, like you guys are sharing manufacturers, you're sharing right. resources, photographers, like all of this stuff. Like this would never happen yeah. out east. And I think that is something that is really beautiful and something that we can teach the industry and what we've been trying to really teach the industry is a different way of doing business. Right. And um, I think long term it's going to really help. Um, the creative industry within Calgary and just continuing it to see it's uh, it's growing as a collective versus right. an individual or as individuals because mm -hmm. everyone everyone can grow at the same time exactly There's room for everybody there is room <laughs> yeah there is room yeah um, and what have you learned about yourself so that was about the business but what have mm -hmm. you learned about yourself because you have staff you have volunteers yep. how has that been as an evolution of yourself in the last 10 years Oh, it's been tricky. I'd like to say that I kind of went through a midlife crisis in my mid-20s, which is hilarious. <laughs> That's happened so young. Core life crisis, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think for me, I've really had to learn how to stand on my own two feet and be okay with being independent. Um, I've always relied pretty heavily on other people, whether it's relationships or partners um, and not really truly being able to operate just, you know, at, on my own. And I think especially over the last five years, um, really learning that no matter what, it's going to be okay if I have myself and if I really, you know, build up that confidence in me to be able to lead an organization, to lead a community. And although it's scary as hell and you're always getting, you know, people judging you or people writing you mean emails about decisions you made or, or things you may have accomplished. Like if you can just have the confidence to keep going, things do get better and things do work out. Um, and then also having the responsibility um, to yourself and to um, your company to make sure that things are going okay. Like, like I think, again, I, I keep circling back to cash flow. Like we had a huge issue with cash flow a few years ago and it's because we were ignoring it. We were like, oh, like I'm an engineer. I don't want to deal with numbers. And even right. Jessie is an accountant. She was like, oh, I do this every day. I don't want to deal with numbers. And so you get yourself in trouble when you avoid things. So really kind of facing it head on and not, you know, um, shying away from conflict, just dealing with it and, you know, having conversation and move on, I think is really important. So, yeah, I think those are the biggest things. 
Yeah. It's really how to kind of build that confidence in yourself to keep going. Yeah. Well, I think that even if you're running a business or you're just like in a normal job or just everyday life, really, those are important yeah. things to be, at least you've learned, like very self-aware that those things need to happen. Absolutely. Um, and I'm sure it's part of your engineering background, <laughs> but how do you stay organized with everything? So you have a ton of events yeah. all over the place, your other, like the production side of things. Mm-hmm. How do you stay organized? Um, it's just, it's such a funny thing because it, it changes, um, depending on how big the company is. Um, I would say when we first started, we were pretty loosely organized, like, you know, your lists, your, your, um, work back schedules, um, project management tools like Trello, we use a lot. Um, but then as the company grew, you kind of reach this capacity. I can only answer so many emails. I can only do so much so then you have to break things out into departments and start learning to delegate and then after you delegate you grow again and it's like okay now i don't even have time to delegate to the people that need to disseminate and do all the different tasks what do i do so then you have to promote people to managers and now you're managing managers and they're managing everybody that needs to be delegated to and then at some point you don't have time to manage the managers (laughs) So now, at this point in my life, uh, we have a personal assistant between Jesse and I um, that helps us out a ton. She's amazing, amazing, um, and just really keeps us on track and just have clear communication with her. This is our weekly schedule. These are our meetings. Uh, this is what the week looks like. And then if there's a crisis or something happens and I have to switch focus to fighting fires versus dealing with kind of daily operations, we can delegate it to her to kind of manage everybody else and be like, okay, I got to turn my focus to this fire, make sure this keeps going so that we keep moving forward because otherwise everything kind of stagnates. Um, I'm also very blessed to have an amazing business partner. Like I really can't say enough good things about her. She is literally my other half. Like she's my work wife through (laughs) and through and um, just working so closely together, our brains are wired to think exactly the same. So, I'm super fortunate because I feel like I've been able to duplicate myself. Right. If I can't make decisions, I feel 100% confident that she can make the decisions. She can put through a proposal, handle a business meeting without me there, and vice versa. So we've kind of be able, or kind of been able to duplicate everything. So I don't know. I mean, it's it changes, and as the economy is changing, and as um, everybody's expecting faster results, faster communication, it's. It's always hard, but I think a mix of technology um, and discipline is really yeah. kind of how you have to tackle it. Wow. And is your personal assistant here or is no. it like a virtual? So um, our personal assistant actually lives in Victoria right now. Oh, okay. So she was based here. She's our director. Well, still is our director of fashion. So she flies yeah. in for our fashion shows yeah. and uh, helps us out with all of our events. Um, but her boyfriend's a fish scientist and there's no water in Alberta. So, <laughs> so she made the move. Yeah. But actually, it's it's worked out great because a lot of our processes are all online. We're all right. cloud-based. So yeah. um, I haven't seen much difference yet. It's knock on wood. Yeah. So. No, that's, it's really cool. I mean, obviously, we all know the internet. We can do everything online. But to actually see it work out mm-hmm. well is impressive. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's been great. Um. So where does your inspiration come from? You said you started the company, you had great branding, great social. So it's obviously been a part of it the whole time. Is mm-hmm. that all your inspiration or where does that come from? Um, I think the inspiration um, 
A lot of it is team-led. Um, a lot of it, honestly, is international. Like we were just seeing things that were happening in bigger cities and we wanted to bring that back to our home city. Um, and not necessarily copying what other people are doing, but we'd be like, oh, whoa, they did this big show on a bridge. Like what bridges could we do that on in Calgary? Like how cool would that be for us to activate that here? And then looking across Canada and be like, oh, no one's done that in Canada even. Like, let's try this out and do something crazy. Um, so, yeah, so a lot of just really staying in tune with what's happening in the industry worldwide, what people are doing, what designers are doing. Um, but then also like inspiration from like what's, you know, our local architecture, our local, um, you know, economy in our space, like. You know, when we had that big recession, we're like, oh, well, wouldn't it be cool to just do it in a warehouse and do like a super grimy, you right. know, underground show. It's not like a lot of pomp and circumstance or whatever. It's like just very, you know, real and raw. And so we did, um, we found a steel mill in Inglewood that was empty. And we're like, okay, let's do this. <laughs> and it was really cool. Like it looked yeah. like it was somewhere, you know, in Brooklyn or, right. or London. And um and then like last year, in the last couple of years, we've been so blessed to have the National Music Center. Um, we had just had Brookfield Place and like all these beautiful, beautiful buildings being built. Um, so how do you activate those spaces in a way that people wouldn't expect? Like Park Lux was a food court and right. you would have no idea yeah. walking through that event that it was a food court. So kind of trying to um, surprise and delight people's kind of our specialty. So is the library coming up next? Oh, <laughs> big question. I can't reveal anything for 2019 yet, but it's definitely on our radar. It would yeah. be beautiful. Um, it's a little bit tricky because it's a public space. So right. trying to work around that. Um, I would love to do something outdoors on the stairs, which mm -hmm. would be beautiful, mm -hmm. but I'm a little scared to do anything outdoors for a while. So yeah. I might be in a few coming years, but <laughs> we also have some smaller projects that we might be collaborating with the library on too. Yes. So yeah. new building, great architecture. Sounds oh, like yeah. it's right in your alley. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and for other small business owners or marketers or people in the industry, what would mm -hmm. you say makes a great campaign? Because you've obviously done a ton yeah, on yeah. both sides of your businesses. So, Well, I think... With campaigns right now, it's, it's getting a little bit tricky because everybody wants a ton of content for no money. And I'm starting to see a little bit of a backlash now because like two years ago, everyone was like, cheap, cheap, cheap. Let's just cut rates. Let's cut day rates. Let's mess around with the industry. Um, but they were getting a lot of shitty images. <laughs> so for, for us, I think really understanding where you can cut corners and where you can't um, and really focusing on quality. Like there's no reason why we can't be producing world-class work out of Calgary. And we do, we see it all the time. There's tons of amazing talent here. Um, but because people have been cutting so many corners, um, if there is a big campaign or a big job, they want to bring in a Toronto or New York or LA agency because they just don't feel like Calgary is capable of doing the work. So I would say first and foremost, you know, know your numbers and actually put aside a good budget um kind of really understanding the value like if you have a person that person should have hair and makeup done they should have a wardrobe stylist with wardrobe that's not dirty or wrinkled or you know looks like it's from 20 years ago um you should probably be hiring professional talent like i mean every campaign is a little bit different like if you're focusing on influencers or focusing on a certain demographic of people that you know 
you don't want it to look so perfect and pristine but but for the most part when you work with real talent you just get so much more content because they're fast they're efficient right. they know their angles we're not struggling to right. like it's their job totally yeah. exactly <laughs> you're not struggling to over direct them so making sure you have all those elements um in place i think is important and making sure that it speaks to your target demographic too i think a lot of people you know they're like oh I have this great idea and this girl she's going to be on this water slide and she's going to do this crazy stuff and it's like well what are you selling like what are you, right. you know yeah. what are you even talking about with this image so really making sure that whatever imagery or video work that you're creating it speaks to who you're talking to and making sure that it makes sense we just see so many campaigns that kind of scratch your head on a billboard right. walking by and right. you're just like who is that talking to right i think people nowadays especially because like everyone has a camera and everybody mm. does everything that it's like oh this will be a really cool like instagram post it's like but you're trying to sell something like the difference between yeah. like an ad and then just a photo really because you can have a super cool photo down a water slide that look will look great on your instagram but yeah like you said, what what is the purpose of it? Especially if you spend that much money and put together this huge campaign. Totally. Just to like think about it. Well, there's a, yeah, there's a lot of effort um, that's put into it. And, and I've seen so many people just, you know, try to cut corners and do it cheap. And then they just have to redo it because the whole shoot, there's a piece of hair in the model's face and you can't Photoshop that out. Right. <laughs> or you're using a kid who, you know, isn't a professional model and is so grumpy and he's crying the whole shoot and... Your photos are ruined so it's just kind of thinking about that that insider and I, I definitely encourage anybody like if they're curious about campaigns or they have any questions like come talk to us too like we give that free advice all the time because we're just so passionate about making the community better and making everything coming out of Calgary just you know that bit closer to Toronto and Vancouver yeah we're getting there we're getting there we are we are um, and so how has social media played a role in Growing Park? I think it has been incredibly instrumental. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of funny because our marketing budget for the not-for-profit has basically stayed between $200 to $1,000 a show every, <laughs> every season. Like we haven't increased it and um because we just don't have the budget like it just doesn't exist so we're like okay how can we um leverage that and what are the types of things that we can do to really push it forward like um and the biggest thing has been um collaborations on social collaborations with our partners um you know can we do different contesting with some of our sponsors can we provide um a kind of unique lens and point of view um into the industry that people may not know about like the fashion industry is very underground so social media has kind of been able um to give us a little bit of a leg up to kind of show that there is an industry here and some things that we do um it's been a little bit tough with um the brand initially like park is a pretty generic word so before we were really searchable um we'd used our park online kind of our representing our community and um park kind of a greater meaning of of building you know that community up in our city and um so it wasn't as searchable as something like market collective or right. you know um our or like some of the other um, events like Beakerhead and stuff going on in the city. So I think that kind of hurt our social media growth initially, but um, things like our newsletter followings, like we put a lot of time and energy into our newsletters and that um, has been growing subtly. And I think that um, again, for any small, small business, 
your newsletter and your website is your only own media. And I think, you know, you invest so much time in Instagram, so much time into Facebook, and then it, you know, becomes less popular and the next new thing pops up. So you have to kind of balance that out of, of where you're putting your time and energy. I'm sure that's what you're kind of thinking with podcasts. That's kind of a yeah. new, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, that's yeah. the thing. You take away some of the time from Instagram, that you're doing a podcast. So like exactly what you're just saying is that now you're jumping. So if my whole thing was on Instagram, then mm-hmm. you would lose everything else. No one would listen to my podcast, though, if I didn't have Instagram. So I know. All, I know. It's all interconnected. It's, it's complicated. It never... Yeah, you need it, but you need to figure out how to how to balance it. Yeah, you. yeah, and keeping in mind, like you said, the website and the newsletter things that I think people don't think about. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like, well, well, no one opens emails. It's like we probably open more emails than you think you're opening. Totally. You know, like we were so surprised. Like we were dead against doing newsletter for years, and then we're just like, oh, we'll just try it, and then we just, you know, within first couple weeks we were selling tickets and we're like oh shoot why weren't we doing this years (laughs) ago um but you just have to find you know your thousand true fans and your you know your captivated audience and just kind of have those micro markets and those people will read it every week if you're saying something interesting that they care about right well that's amazing um what is a resource or a book or a podcast that you would recommend Mm. I had to to kind of dig through a few. I think there's kind of, well, there's, can I, am I allowed to say a few or do I have to stick to one? No, you can say a few. Um, I mean, I'm always a big fan of Tim Ferriss's podcasts. Um, He's a little bit of cocky guy, but, and sometimes it's a bit male dominated, but I do always find I take something away from a lot of his podcasts. And I find the people that he interviews quite interesting in the way that he interviews them um, quite inspiring. So that's one I go back to time and time again. Um, one book I have on book on tape. Um, yes, I listen to book on tape. We do a lot of driving in the industry between different cities and on jobs and remote locations. Um, is the uh, ultimate sales machine? So I guess ebook. Um, and what I loved about that is it just breaks down, you know, marketing to just like such a finite amount of detail. And just reminding you time and time again how much discipline you need to have in order to to make it. And um, I don't know, maybe that's because of my background's structure <laughs> and process. But it's just it's like, I'm like, yeah, you're right. Like every time I read it, I'm like, oh, I'm not doing that. I need to do that. Like, so I just I don't know. I, I find that one really inspiring. And then from kind of a personal and financial level. Um, I always appreciate everything that uh, Ramit Sethi always talks about. Like he's a book, uh, I will teach you to be rich. And it's, so, it sounds so silly, but it's just like breaking down the financial basics. And it's like, yeah, you're right. Like you need to do these certain things in order to grow your wealth and to manage your cash. And really at the end, cash is king is such a, you know, thing we need to live and breathe as our entrepreneurs. And um, so it's just a nice reminder and just kind of grounding Right. No, those are awesome suggestions. I haven't read any of the last ones, so I'll have awesome. to go get those. We're in a library, so I should make sure they're here yeah, for free. Definitely. Uh, and what's the next event for Park that people can look yeah, forward to? So we have Park Forum coming up in February um, at Sea Space uh, again, which is great. And then Park Show May 25th. And um, can't release the venue yet, but maybe maybe we could do a bit of a leak or a launch with you on yes. Instagram or something yes. when the podcast comes out. And where can everyone find you and Park? 
Um, probably the best is ourparkonline.com. Our at ourparkonline. So O U R Park Online. Amazing. Thank you so much. No problem. Thanks for having me.